Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. If you have your Bibles... Open them to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to continue in our series, When Life Hands You, and we all know that uh, typically when we say that, when life hands you, it's some kind of lemon, some kind of something that's sour, and the rest of that statement is make lemonade, so add water, add sugar, sweeten everything up. And, uh, and move on with life. And we've been looking at these over the last few weeks when life gives you doubt, when life gives you, uh, when life gives you difficulties. And today is when life hands you conflict. What are we called to do when conflict arises? There is so much of this in our world right now. In fact, the phrase when two or three are gathered together, there are at least 27 opinions holds true. And if you're on social media, I think that number triples, something along those lines. There is so much conflict in our world, both in politics, online, in what we believe around a pandemic, all kinds of things. There just seems to be so much conflict. So today, we want to look into the Scriptures, into this letter to Romans, to find out how we are to react when life hands us conflict. So what is conflict? Before we start talking about conflict, I want to, to just give a sidebar. I want you to know that today we'll be talking about conflict, not abuse. There's a difference between being in conflict with someone and someone abusing another human being. So I want to make that very clear. Today we're talking about conflict. We're talking about differences of ideas, differences of opinions, differences uh, that, that lead to strain on relationships and can break down relationships, but we're not talking about abuse. If, if you are in a relationship that is conflictual and leads to abuse, that's an entirely different subject that we're talking about, and God wants you to be safe does not want anyone to be abused, and we encourage you to seek the help that you need to, to be uh, safe and not in an abusive relationship. The same thing, we're talking about conflict, but we're not talking about systemic evil necessarily today. So we're not talking about racism or war, even though those things can have conflict in them. What we were talking about today is our everyday conflicts. And one definition of conflict that I found that I, I think is pretty good it says this, a, it, that a conflict is a clash between individuals or groups arising out of a difference in thinking, attitudes, understanding, preferences, requirements, and even sometimes our perception of what people are thinking or understanding or what their preferences are. All of this leads to conflict. Now, I would add one more part of this. I think that that first statement is true, but I think there's an added requirement. I think these individuals and groups also have to have some closeness to one another. You can have completely different opinions and live on opposite sides of the city, and you'll never experience conflict. But when you become neighbors... 
when you move into together and there's that closeness, then those differences can begin to grind on us sometimes. And there is also a need for these individuals or groups not just to be close to another, but to believe that their way is the best way or the only way. This also kind of heightens and grinds on that conflict. And lastly, there's, a, there's almost a determination to defeat all other ways of thinking or feeling about whatever the topic may be that the conflict has arisen in. And usually it gets framed in a way that your way, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm in conflict with you, that I'm seeing or, or writing it in a way that your way impinges on my rights or to believe or to do things my way. I mean, you see this, just scroll through Facebook. Don't do that right now, but scroll down your feed and you'll see this is true because social media has taken those, those opinions that may have been at opposite sides and smashed them together. And we begin to get this, this closeness that causes conflict, this belief that our way is the best way and a determination to defeat your way because My way is the best way, and your way impinges on my rights to believe or to do things my way. Am I getting philosophical enough for you? Any conflict you have ever been in usually falls into these patterns. Whether it's in your marriage, your job, your school, your family, brothers and sisters. I have two brothers, and boy, that that used to fall into those categories. These things are involved in every conflict, even even in church. I know that's hard to believe, but it is true. Because once you take that pattern and you add people's thoughts and feelings and preferences and understandings about God, about worship, about the Bible, it can get heated very quickly. If you've been around church, you know this it can be true. And this is what was happening in the church in Rome. And I'm sure that it is happening to at least some of you right now where you are all around the world. The church in Rome knew all too well about conflict. Now, I need to give you a little history lesson here so you can see the context of where Paul writes his letter to the Romans. Nobody is certain uh, who that individual was that brought Christianity to Rome But they're fairly confident that it started in the Jewish synagogues as a messianic movement. Rome was kind of the central city of the world. And so many people traveled in and out. And some of those people were Jewish. And some had probably come from Jerusalem and they had an encounter with Jesus. And they believed that he was the Messiah, that he had been raised from the dead. And they brought that into the church or into the synagogues in Rome. And this caused great conflict between those Jews who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah and those who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The Jesus followers were eventually forced out of the synagogues as non-Jews became a part of the Jesus movement. It was a great tension. In fact, the tension was so great that the Emperor Claudius thought that this was just a Jewish problem and so he kicked out all people who identified as Jews. It didn't matter if they believed in Jesus as the Messiah or in the traditional Jewish understanding. He kicked all Jews out of Rome in A.D. 41. 
And they were not allowed to return to Rome for 12 years. I mean, this is crazy. That means all the ones who had that framework of the Hebrew Scriptures, of the old, what we call the Old Testament, all the ones, the church was left in the hands of non-Jews to talk about this Jewish Messiah who is both Savior and Lord. What will happen as they spent 12 years away from Rome? What would happen? Surely that church would have broken down. But when they came back, they found that the church was still alive and kicking. It was still at work. But things had drastically changed. Services didn't look very Jewish anymore. And this began to lead to, lead to more conflict, but this time in the church. Jewish believers in Jesus versus non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And Paul begins to hear about what is going on in these house churches in Rome. And he wants to write to them. He writes to them this letter that we now call the book or the letter to Romans. And he does this in order to refocus them away from their conflict and back on to the mission of Jesus. He writes to get them back in harmony in order to help him continue his missionary journey westward to Gaul, which is now Spain, France area of the world. He was hoping to continue on and, and he needed to launch out from Rome, but Roman churches needed to get together, get back on the mission in order to be able to send him on his missionary journey. He doesn't set out to write a theological thesis which is the way that Romans is sometimes treated, because there is some good theology here in the, in the letter to the Romans. But his whole purpose for writing is to use good theology to draw both sides, the non-Jewish followers and the Jewish followers, back into the mission of Jesus. And the first 11 chapters of Romans are about bringing everyone back to level ground in the mission of Jesus in the world. So he goes back and forth He, in his writing. If you want to read, you can. I would encourage you this week, just take the gospel of, or the, the letter of Romans and read through and you'll see this back and forth. He begins by, by, by talking to the non-Jewish experience of being lost in sin and the need of non-Jewish people to have an experience of salvation in Jesus Christ. He does that on the one hand, but then he'll morph right into talking about the Jewish experience of lostness and sin and the need for Jewish people to have salvation in Jesus Christ. This is the rationale behind Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory or fallen short of honoring God. He says it's a both and. Guys, come on, don't be fighting about which way is better. You both were lost and now you're found because of Jesus. Jesus, let's get back on the mission. He goes and tells the non-Jews that they are blessed, that God's purpose was always to include them. And he reminds non-Jewish folk, he reminds the Jewish folk not to get so caught up in their chosenness, in their specialness. They were chosen not to flaunt their specialness, but to be a light to draw in the nations to God. And the Jewish folks had failed in that over and over and over again. They also missed the mark, which is the definition of sin. 
He shows the non-Jews that they were lost in their ignorance of God and of His Savior, and the Jews that they were lost in their arrogance in thinking that they were so special they didn't need a Savior. And Paul wants to say, you both did, and you both have one in Jesus. And he says, I want to show you what God's heart is for both of them in chapter 5, verse 8. He reminds them of God's love for all when he says, But God demonstrated His own love in this. While we, both non-Jew and Jew, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we can't spend a whole lot of time going through the whole letter of Romans today. But Paul tells them if they trust God's Son, who died for them while they were sinners, they will be saved. I want to pause for just a moment. Today, in the midst of all the conflict, can I take just a moment to ask you a very important question? Do you know that you need a Savior? Do you know that God loves even you? And that while you were maybe ignorant of God or so arrogant to say you didn't need God in your life, God so loved you. That Jesus died and was raised for you. I just feel like I can't move through this part of the sermon without pausing for a moment and giving opportunity for you to know how deeply God loves you. How much God has given on your behalf. And I want to invite you right now. It is a very simple prayer. It's as simple as saying, God, I've heard about your love for me. I have heard that Jesus died for me and was raised. Help me to believe. Forgive me for my ignorance or my arrogance. And lead me to eternal life. I accept this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer or something similar to that, would you leave a comment in the comment section so that so that we can know and we can get you any information, get you connected with the church in your area? Because this is the mission, to announce the love and goodness, the forgiveness of God that Paul is calling in his letter, all people to understand. He goes on to tell them that Jesus' resurrection also brings them into new life and in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 10, he says, The Holy Spirit can be, uh, in, I'm sorry, and, the, and that the Holy Spirit can be in them and they can live with no condemnation in the Spirit's power and strength. That's chapter 8, verse 1. Paul always uses this good theology, this gospel, to focus them on the mission, not on their various separations. This is very important when you're reading the letter to the Romans to understand this. Chapter 10, verse 12 kind of draws it all together. We're getting close to our passage. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That's a fancy word for non-Jew. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. That's good news. So if all of this is true, and Jesus, our leader, and His way to victory, which was through the cross and resurrection, is our way to life as well, then chapter 12 begins with our mindset 
and that that mindset shows us how we should deal with conflict. He starts off by saying in chapter 12, verse 1, you can read it with me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. These verses are really going to guide the rest of the letter. He's, he's showing how we as Christians live as living sacrifices. And for our purposes today, if we are living sacrifices to Jesus, how are we, you and me, how are we to react when conflict comes up? Let's drop down to verse 16. Verse 16 is that's where he's getting into talking about conflict. He writes there, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul says when conflict arises, living sacrifices, people who are living sacrifices to God are offering their lives as living sacrifices, they do two things. One, they live in harmony. And two, they leave room for God. Are you ready for those again? Uh, they do two things. Living sacrifices, when conflict arises, they learn to live in harmony. And they leave room for God. Let's, let's dive into this just a little bit. To live lives in harmony. I want you to know, harmony is not uniformity. This is a very particular word and it's very interesting. And I want to try and give you an example. I have a keyboard here right next to me. I hope you'll be able to hear it. Yep, you should be able to hear that. And I want you to know that it is not about uniformity. Uniformity is one Note. But in every conflict, there are at least two notes, right? So we have this note, and we have this note. And we might even have a third note. But harmony allows all three notes to do this. They're together. All those notes are there. But together they are there. That it is not about Gentiles becoming Jews or Jews becoming Gentiles. What's more important is the song or the chord that holds them all together. So when we talk about harmony, we are not talking about uniformity. One note is the only note. The song is big enough to hold them all even if there's a little bit of tension in the midst of this. In order to live lives of harmony, it takes the rest of these verses, verses 16 through 18. We'll start with with that uh, where he, he he writes, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
I love the way that Young's literal translation, many of you who have Bible app could switch to that right now, and it says, do not be high-minded, but with the lowly going along, become not wise before yourself. So this just begins to show us just this literal translation. Of course, you know we're going to do some Greek work here in just a second. But we kind of understand the idea of don't be high-minded or don't be proud. Um, that one we're kind of very familiar with. But the other part of the verse is harder. And much is kind of lost in translation. Because we see, we see here, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. The interesting thing that I found in, in looking at this verse in the Greek is that the word people is, is nowhere to be found in this verse. Uh, there are two words for people. There's the word laos, which we get the word laity from, the people. Or ethnos, that's the nations or the cultures, the groups of people. But the Greek phrase here is the word tapenois, sunapagomenois. Aren't you glad that you can say this? You're going to learn this t- today. There's two words, tapenois, Sunapagamenois. And so let's start with the first word, tapenois. You want to say that with me, don't you? Ready? One, two, three. Tapenois. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Tapenois. It has the idea of not rising far from the ground. If you were to translate tapenois literally, it means not rising far from the ground. Like kind of when I jump. I don't have a 20-inch vertical leap. Mine is more close to like two-inch vertical leap. And so there it is. I am tapenois. I am not rising far from the ground. The second word that is there is, is a tongue twister, sunapagomenois. So let's try soon, apago, menois. One more time. Soon, apago, menois. Sunapagomenois. Try it all together. Ready? One, two, three. Sunapagomenois. And what it means is being carried away. Not rising far from the ground, being carried to a place, uh, being carried away to a place that is not far from the ground. What does this mean? It means, okay, so don't be high-minded, don't be proud, be carried away to the lower position. Now, being carried away to the lower position is not about giving in. But it's about taking yourself not quite so seriously. Belfast, we had a, uh, I lived in Belfast for a couple of years, Belfast, Northern Ireland, and they have some very special phrases. And when someone is getting high-minded or proud, they seem to strut, they, you know, they, they, they pick up on this idea that we kind of stick our necks out and we, we do this. And so their favorite phrase, if they see somebody being too high-minded or uh, too proud, they'll say, wind your neck in. Wind your neck in. It's a great phrase, and it's one that stuck with me. Wind your neck in. Winding your neck in is about recognizing that the other person matters, and you are willing to admit that you might just be wrong on this. That the relationship is more important than being right. If you're too high-minded, you're way up here and you're looking down on everybody else. But what you need to be carried away to the lower position is for your neck to be winded in. Now notice the verb, to be carried away. We often need help 
We need someone else to help us wind our necks in. It's not something we naturally do on our own. And Paul wants us to know the Holy Spirit, when we are living sacrifices and we are filled with His Spirit, will help us to wind our necks in. To realize the mission and what is really important when conflict arises. It's kind of, I'm going to go back to the keyboard again. Sometimes we're very close in that tension. You can hear it in this, in this notes here. There, there, there's this note and this note. And when you play them together, it sounds awful. Oh, just listen to the tension there. But if one of them is able to wind their neck in or the Holy Spirit carries them away to the lower position, they might just find out that they go from this to this. Oh, that sounds so much better, doesn't it? To be carried away to the lower position so that we can live in harmony. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will do this, will remind us, even in the midst of conflict, all that He, Jesus, taught us, will remind us that Jesus, who had every right to be high-minded because He was God, let Himself be carried to the lowly position and died for me and for the other person who's in the conflict. That's all about winding our necks in, letting the Holy Spirit wind us in. Now, Paul goes deeper into what harmony looks like. He says in verse 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That's a huge task. In verse 18, he goes on and says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's look into this. This verse allows us, it does allow us to name the wrong done to us. He calls it evil. That, that is the word kakos. It means malice or ill will. Don't return malice or ill will with more ill will. That can be evil. Don't, don't return that. He says you can name it as that, but it really, this verse refocuses us on our response to the other person in the conflict. When we're in conflict with someone, we always want to point the finger at them. You know you do. Well, they said this and they did that. And don't they know who I am and what I've done and what in the world are they thinking? Paul says, if you're a living sacrifice, when conflict arises, we need to look in the mirror first. We need to look at our response A good question for us, I think that Paul would would be okay out of this writing with me saying, let's wrestle with this for a second. Take a moment and think to yourself, I'm a living sacrifice. Is what I am about to say? Or is what I am about to post on my social media account? Or what I'm about to do, is this something that would associate me with Jesus? Think about that for a second. You may want to write that on your computer screen or wherever it is that you do your media posting from. Is it sarcastic? Is it unkind? Is it, is it mean in spirit? We're called to be living sacrifices. We're called to let the Holy Spirit carry us to the lower position like Jesus was carried to the lower position when He died for you and for me. Maybe we need to wrestle with this and let the Holy Spirit wind our neck in a little bit. Verse 18 pushes us even harder. says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on who? 
on you, on you, me. Live at peace with everyone. Now he starts with, if it is possible. Sometimes it's not possible. But that's not where we're supposed to stop in this verse. Sometimes it's not possible to live at peace. They just hold that thing and, and you just can't seem to find a way. It might be something that's not right or doesn't match with our values. But we should still make every effort. If there's a way to live at peace, we are to look for it with all that we have in us. Sometimes that mean, may mean just agreeing to disagree agreeably. Sometimes I feel, church, like we in our modern day have forgotten this. That we can still love an individual and care for them and not agree 100% with whatever it is that they believe or are doing or saying. We can still treat them with the kindness that Jesus treated us with. Paul is saying we are to play an active role in finding a way to peace with the other person because Jesus took an active role in finding a way to peace with us, for us and God. Again, that that tension that is there. There it is. That tension. That tension. But when we search and we bring God into it, He may even enfold the tension into it. See, that, that's still there. That tension is still there. But we've added, symbolically, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He still can enfold that into the cord because the song is more important than being right. It doesn't depend on their position changing. It depends on us, on me, resting in the God who changed my position before Him through the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend on their opinion changing. It depends on me resting in God's loving opinion of me and of them because God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It doesn't depend on their attitude changing. It depends on me letting the mind of Christ be in me and my guiding principle as a living sacrifice. Do you see where this is going? So when we when conflict arises, we've looked at that we are called to live in harmony. The second is we're called to leave room for God. When it's not possible to live at peace, you still don't get to take negative or punitive action. That is not your role as a living sacrifice. Let me say that again. A little bit louder for those in the back row. When it is not possible to live at peace, what this verse means is you still, I still, don't get to take negative or punitive action with someone else. That's not our role as living sacrifices. Verse 19 tells us, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I want to look at that revenge and avenge. not going to do any Avengers clips right now. Sorry, James and Andy. But I want us to look, because this, this revenge and avenge, they, they come around the same root word, but they, they have different endings, which develops a different kind of meaning. The word for revenge is ekdekuntes. I know you want to say that because it just sounds fun to say. 
Ek dekuntes. Are you ready to say that together? One, two, three. Ek dekuntes. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Ek dekuntes. And what it means is ek, out from, and dekuntes, vindicating my own rights. That's revenge. It comes out from wanting to vindicate my own rights. That I have rights and you've impinged upon them. And I'm going to get revenge so that my rights are there. Ek dekuntes. And Paul says, do not go to revenge. But leave room for God. For God says it is mine to avenge. Which is the word Ekdekasis. Let's try that one. Sounds very similar, right? But different ending. Ready? Ekdekasis. Let's say that one more time. One, two, three. Ekdekasis. And what this means is ek out from dekasis, correct judgment. Let that wash over you for a second. We're not to go from revenge, ekdekuntes, vindicating my own rights, but leave room for God who says, He will bring it out from correct judgment, ekdekasis. Revenge is us wanting our rights. God's avenging is out of correct judgment. The only one who can have absolutely correct judgment in the midst of conflict is God. Not us, not you, not me, not any human being. Ectocasis comes from God's correct judgment. So when the Christian, when the living sacrifice has done everything to live at peace and there is still conflict, we trust God's ectocasis. We, we trust in God's correct judgment. And it may be that God's judgment includes wrath. That's the word in English that we have here. The Greek word is the word orge. Let's say that together because it's pretty simple. One, two, three. Orge. Orge is not an explosion of anger. But I love what Strong's Concordance defines this as. That orge, that, that word that is interpreted wrath, is an internal disposition which steadfastly opposes someone or something based on extended personal exposure to what the beholder considers wrong, unjust, or evil. The beholder, of course, in this instance is God. And so if it is evil, you can be assured that God's internal disposition is steadfastly opposing that and is opposing it now so we don't have to. Think about that. The action then that we are called to, if God, we're, if we're trusting God's correct judgment, His ectocasis, and we're, we're waiting and just seeing if, if God is steadily opposing what that other person believes in His wrath, in His orge, then we can sit back and wait for God to work. The action that we are called to, according to Paul, comes into the next verses. He, he turns it on his head and says, If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. While we're waiting for God's correct judgment that may include God's wrath or may already be opposing that, that view if it is evil or sinful, our job in the meantime, in the waiting, is if our enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Now, I know it finishes by saying it will heap burning coals on their heads. 
which feels like revenge. Oh yeah? Well, here's a cup of water. Take that, burning coal. That's not what he's getting at. Every early church leader, from Origen to Augustine to Jerome, they, they all interpret this as a symbol for repentance. That, that, that giving of kindness, of food and of drink will burn away what is hardening their heart or their mind and might just possibly open them up to repentance, just like God's kindness to you in Jesus brought you to repentance, brought me to repentance. This is what we are called to. As Christians, we don't just get to spout off on our social media posts. We are living sacrifices to Jesus In other words, your social media page is not your own. Relationships are more important than being right. Can I say that again? Relationships are more important than being right. What God has done and is doing in Jesus to save the world is our driving message. Keep your focus on that and wind your neck in if you have to. This is so important in our world today. So as we finish, what what conflicts are you experiencing today? I'm sure you have some. Are you looking for harmony? Or are you just adding to the noise? Are you trusting God's ectocasis, His correct judgment? Are you just wanting revenge for what they said or did? Are you consumed with high-mindedness and wise before yourself, wise in your own eyes? Do you need your neck wind in to be carried back into harmony? Remember, the one who loves you and gave everything for you will guide you and will empower you to love and live at peace even when it's difficult. We have only, only to ask. Recently, there's been some conflict. And it's hard. I want to give you an example about how the Holy Spirit wound my neck in. Is that okay? I'm not going to go into a lot of the details. But let's just say there was conflict. And I was frustrated. And I was doing all of those high-minded things. Don't they know? How in the world? Why... What in the world would, would make them do that? Say that. I don't understand. This is not right. This is wrong. I was out wandering around my neighborhood, stewing. I came back in. I sat down. Of all things, I opened up Facebook. Probably not the best thing to do. But the Holy Spirit moved in that moment to help me see something, to carry me away to the lower position. I looked at a video. I I wish I could show it to you today. I haven't been able to find it since then. But it was a video of a man who was walking down the street. He was on his phone and he was looking at something. And he noticed that a truck, like a moving truck, one of those big box trucks, was rolling. And he didn't see a driver in. So he, he ran up to the truck and he looked in the driver's side window. There was no driver. He, he went around to the front of the truck and he tried with all his might to stop the truck from rolling. But it was just too heavy. He looked around and he saw a rock over on this side. And he, he pulled it and he went over and he put it under the tire. And it stopped the truck from rolling. So he 
thought he had done his good deed. He walked on past the back of the truck. And when he got to the back of the truck, he looked to his left and saw that there were three guys pushing the truck. Obviously trying to get it to go somewhere. And in his panic, he just put his phone away and ran off in the the other direction. Didn't want to stick around. In that moment, God, God used that to say, there's more important things than just being right. That they also think they're doing right. That maybe they see this as, as something that's, that's not the best. And so they're putting a rock under the tire to try and stop. And, and it may feel like evil to you, but it may just be what they think is right. You, Jeff, need to trust in my ectocasis. And if there is evil intention, it will be resisted. You can be assured of that. See, I needed my neck wound in. That's my situation. What was your situation? We all have them. And the Holy Spirit is available to help us. To live as living sacrifices. And most importantly, when all of this happens, our final verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Are you living into that, my brother and my sister? Or are you focused more on being right? God calls us into relationships. I pray that today you will begin to put some of these principles to practice and see how the Holy Spirit helps you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter so long ago that means so much to us today. Help us whenever we place being right ahead of relationships. Wind our necks in. And help us when we can't, when we can't resolve the conflict to trust your correct judgment, your love and mercy for both of us. And teach us the ways to be kind. Teach us the ways to love those we're in conflict with, to feed them when they're hungry, to give them something to drink when they're thirsty. Lead us in the way of being a living sacrifice. For we pray and ask all of these things knowing, knowing that you were carried away to the low position for us. That you died and And you went even lower. You went to the place of the dead. You went to hell for us. You were raised and you give us new life. So help us to trust that more than our opinions. And may the mind of Christ be in us. We pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to bless you as you go. My brothers and my sisters, I pray you'll experience the blessing of having your neck wound in. I pray that as a church, both those who are here at Cross Community Church in Portage, Michigan, and you, the church, wherever you are around the world, that you will not be overcome by evil, but that you will overcome evil with good.
I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. God bless you. Go in peace. Go in his name. Wash your hands. Wear your masks. Be kind. And we'll see you next week. Have a great, great week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.